0: Welcome to the Documentary Photography Review Podcast. My name is Chris King and in this episode I speak to Agata Skovrenak, a photojournalist and video journalist from Germany, now based in Berlin, having recently moved back there after spending the past eight years in Turkey and working throughout the Middle East. The interview is pretty long. But I assure you, it's worth sticking it out, as Agatha has a wealth of experience to share from her recent collaboration and successful crowdfunding campaign with Simon Hipkins, who I interviewed in the last podcast, to her thoughts on the evolving landscape of photojournalism and how and why she intends to focus more time and energy on personal projects and less on assignments, with a particular focus on the experiences of refugees and asylum seekers from Syria and Iraq in Germany. So as Agatha is based in Berlin, um, there was a need to use Skype, and this is the first time that I've used Skype in a very long time, Uh, but I made sure that I learned from my previous mistakes, and instead of recording the Skype conversation itself, we both wore headphones and recorded our own voices. Agatha then forwarded me on the recording, and I merged them in post-processing. The result is good quality audio throughout the interview which is fantastic and now that I know that there is this viable and effective method of conducting an interview I'm going to be reaching out to more photographers outside of the UK which I'm really looking forward to doing and is something I've wanted to do for some time. On top of this as of the next episode I will also be starting to interview people other than photographers such as picture editors, sound recorders and funders. Um, more information on this at the end of the podcast, and be sure to subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, so you don't miss out. Show notes are, as usual, available on the Documentary Photography Review website at documentaryphotoreview.com forward slash interviews, and navigate to the page for this episode. And now, here's my interview with Agatha Skovronek. Enjoy. So, if... If you could first please introduce yourself and your journey into photography, that'd be great.
1: Okay, my name is Agata Skobronik. Uh, I've f- started photography about 20 years ago. Um, well, I started actually before I studied it, but I studied in um, Napier University, uh-huh. Photo Film and Multimedia in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. It's where I met Simon Hipkins. Yep. Uh, Well, during my studies, during my last, uh, well, in the third year of my studies, it was a four-year course, I received a documentary film scholarship, uh, which brought me to Barcelona. Okay. Uh, Then I was supposed to come back after, uh, well, half a year, I was supposed to go back to Edinburgh, but I stayed in Barcelona, I was traveling back and forth for one and a half years, basically, and I finished my studies uh, in Edinburgh, Edinburgh while being actually based in Barcelona. Mm -hmm. Um, then I, I l- continued sort of working there in, in Spain and uh, I lived there until the end of 2006. Um, and then I went to, well actually before I uh, before I really decided to go, I, I went in sort of in March 2006, I went the first time to Istanbul. Okay. And then I moved there in the end of 2006. And I went there because uh, a journalist friend of mine who I knew from Spain, uh, he, he wanted to start his career in Turkey. Mm-hmm. And I went to visit him, and then I started to, to work right away. And this was what I always wanted to do. I actually always wanted to, to work in journalism at that time. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in Spain, I was doing my own project and I was exhibiting some things, but uh, it was taking very slowly. While in in um, in Turkey, I just started to work uh, right away, and I, I was really right. very much into into news at that time. And it was like very everything was very new and exciting, and it was just sort of my dream. Uh-huh. So uh, yeah, so I, I went to Turkey and I stayed there for uh, for eight years. Mm.
2: Okay,
0: and and so why do you think that? Um, the opportunities were greater in that region for you.
1: Well, because at that time um, it was uh, after two thousand one, mm-hmm. it was like everyone was uh, concentrating. I mean, the whole uh, world uh, media was concentrating on the Middle East. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So, um, yeah, and in Turkey especially was very interesting for Germany. Always, you know, since the sixties, Turkey is you know, sort of interesting for. I mean, since uh, since Germany uh, received guest workers, so-called guest workers, of course, and they stayed in Germany. Then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for Germany, Turkey has been since since uh, 50 years a very important uh, place right. because there are so many Turks living in Germany. Uh-huh. But you know, in the beginning, I wasn't working for Germany. I was working like more for Spanish clients. Right. Um, but then, it sort of, it, I started to work more for Germans. I have a German agency and. Yeah, so um, I think in the second year I started to work for Spiegel, for Zeit and all these kind of papers, uh-huh. Yeah, on some point for most of the German papers.
0: And how did that come about? How did you um, build up a relationship with those news agencies?
1: Uh, well, first, I mean, my, my agency in Germany is not really like I mean, this is well, like news, but as well, they do like reportage and things. But it was okay. I, I went there, I mean, because my, my parents uh, were are living in Germany. I'm actually Polish, but I was brought up in Germany. Mm-hmm. So um, when I was visiting them, I on some point I went to Hamburg. I spoke to to newspapers. I presented myself as well. I went to to this agency, uh, Focus Agentur Focus, and and yeah, and they uh, decided to represent me. Right. And and. Um, then the first uh, job for Spiegel I got for Spiegel, I got to uh, through them
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh yeah, and then you know like you got to know the correspondents, you you were close with them, and then it sort of. Uh, yeah, it, it, if you do your job well, then it's sort of pretty easy. The thing is, the only problem is that, that you know, after they all only stay for a few years, like the correspondents, you know, the journalists, They normally they stay for something like four years, sometimes right. a bit more, sometimes less. So mm-hmm. then you have to do like the contacts again, you know. So, oh, right. it's, uh, okay. yeah. And then, and then, of course, it's after some, what happened to me, like after a while, um if you do it like once okay it's fine it's maybe twice you can i mean twice for the same paper you can do it but you know it then it becomes like then you have done a lot of subjects in that country mm-hmm. and then you you are very familiar and the people who are coming they are new to it and then you are like a bit you're getting yeah i mean not really bored but you know it's like nothing it's not so exciting anymore and, it, and this excitement has to do a, a lot with news you right. know? so yeah. once once you sort of lose the the fascination for it then it's yeah that's no point really in staying because it's not a very sustainable business you know doing uh-huh. news uh-huh. like it's uh, i mean your career is uh, basically like uh, it can be on the t- on some point you can be on the top but then in the next day you know if someone else comes along and, and has a I don't know found a, I don't know has a good relation to the picture editor or whatever or to the journalist and mm-hmm. you're out of the game basically you know and on some point it's like very very tiring as well I mean <laughs> yeah.
0: and do you think there's been a, a change in in how things um, how things are organized and how things are structured and um, a photojournalist and a, a photographer's role in it all and and building up those relationships do you think there's a different dynamic now than there was when you first started out?
1: Well, um, you know, I have started already in the Internet age, you know, so Mm -hmm. uh, probably I mean, um, I guess it's it's getting quick, uh, all faster anyway. But you know, I, I think like the people who started before me, like uh, who really d- started working in the business, still on on uh, analog, mm-hmm. it was much slower, of course. You know, and you, I don't think that you were so replaceable as you are now, because mm-hmm. now you take the picture, and the next moment it's an internet, and you know everyone uh, can have it. It's it's a, it doesn't. I don't think that, that the, I think that before, you know, the personal relation you had to the people was very important. Now, I think, you know, they are happy. I mean, picture editors, uh, yeah, sort of, you know, happy if they have someone somewhere, but they can replace you, you know, basically. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, for them, it's, I think you as an individual, you're only as important as if you have, if you can do something special, like if you found a niche no one else can work in, Mm -hmm. for example, you know, then of course, you are like very precious to them, but if uh, if you are um, in a place everyone can be mm-hmm. then you know then they take the person who maybe just went came the other day and presented her himself in the office and wanted a job or whatever i mean it's like it, it's it's not very you no know, it's i know, how do I want to say like it's it's not very even if you even if you did title stories or you know like very difficult stories for them. Um, yeah it's nothing which is very sustainable you know like and I realized this uh, pretty late you know I was like first it was like well everything was uh, great and new and but at some point you know after years really some people need much less time for not uh, not noticing it but but you realize that okay if if you just build uh, your body of work actually don't build anything because you know if you just take pictures illustrating uh, stories then you um, well then you don't actually build up a body of work so you have to go for what is really interesting for you and sometimes it's Mm -hmm. these stories which are really interesting for you are not interesting for for the media yeah yeah. or they become interesting for the media uh, when isis uh, gets involved or something Mm -hmm. what happened to my yezidi stories you know i did i did did a story about the yezidis I think in 2008, first, mm-hmm. 2008, 2009, and no one wanted the story at that time. And then last year, ISIS starts killing hundreds of Yazidis, and suddenly everyone wants a Yezidis story. Yeah. You know? it's, it's it's crazy the way you know the way it works. It's very, it's a crazy business. Yep. You
0: know? And do you think that the greater kind of um, opportunity for indigenous photographers to be um, to be used by these agencies, do you think that's also influencing the landscape of things for those photographers who are kind of trained and, and live in the West and then move into those regions?
1: You, you mean like sort of uh, autochthonous, autochthonous photographers, like people uh, like, like an Egyptian photographer working in Egypt or Turkish photographer working in Turkey, yeah? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, it's, um, I mean, no, in a way I think it's great that, that the people, the people from there have a chance yeah, most to definitely. work yep. uh, and of course they have a different approach. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a different approach to things. They have a different insight. They have a different um, motivation as well, you know, mm-hmm. uh, may- very often they do different works. I mean, uh, s- yeah, it's. I mean, I mean, of course, I mean, I wouldn't say that I, I have, uh, I mean, apart from, okay, there's in Turkey now, in Turkey, there's this NAR collective, uh, NAR, NAR agency mm-hmm. in, in Iraq, there is, uh, um, what's the name of me- um, Metro Met- Metronome? Metronome, I think it's an uh, Iraqi agency mm-hmm. and they work uh, with Iraqi photographers. So the founder, one of the founders is Iraqi, the other one is American. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if they stay on the ground, you know, while Western photographers very often come and then go away, but yeah. I wouldn't say per se that um, autochthonous or Western do better work. You know, it really depends no, yeah. very much on 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 uh, on the individual photographer, or videographer. Or,
0: yeah. You know, like. Yep. Yeah. But do you think do you think that's impacting in terms of um, opportunities because of because they have that insider knowledge they have you know, already a network of contacts and they can gain access possibly more easily in, in some cases, mm-hmm. maybe not in others. But do you think um the fact that there are these agencies, um indigenous, indigenous agencies um being built up and and um more opportunity for local photographers to tap into international um picture agencies and, and publications and the likes, do you think that's changing the landscape for Western photojournalists though in terms of opportunities or is there still um, the opportunity to very much coexist and because there's maybe um, a different exploration of the same subject through you know two differing eyes
1: well I I think um, I think there is actually you know I don't think that that um, the autochthonous uh, photographers really change the the photographic landscape so much you know because they really have a, a different approach and mm-hmm. and the thing with western photographers is they often very much know like uh, what kind of pictures are wanted or what is the mm-hmm. style wanted and all this you know mm-hmm. so it's like uh, they work on, on on different parameters i guess you know yep. like but no i mean sometimes of course sometimes it can happen you know that, that actually you know a job uh us you were doing for years in one place now is taken over by people who are there of course this can happen but i don't think uh, this is the main problem no Mm -hmm. i think the main problem is is something else you know it's it's for western photographers you Mm -hmm. know if you can say the problem is that basically you know like uh, people are now uh, i mean many photographers because you know of the of pretty difficult work situation now like you know less money and less jobs and whatever then basically uh, you know people are uh, prepared to go uh, to a place uh, and then say like call the picture editor or write the mail and say okay i'm here so the picture editors don't send other people anymore mm-hmm. because you know and don't, don't pay the expenses mm-hmm. so they just uh, work with someone who's already there and this is pretty bad i guess you know if, if Photographers are doing this because uh, it means that that the papers have less expenses Mm. But the photographers have has more doesn't have the insurance, whatever, you know, this is a bit crazy and this is the development Mm -hmm. Like uh, yeah, I mean on some point uh, like mm, Editors didn't want like western editors didn't wanted to take freelance uh, work of freelancers anymore in in Syria but I mean because of the the uh, yeah people were killed there being freelancers and not having the infrastructure and they went just to just to get the story out others didn't dare to do mm-hmm. but um i mean of course they they uh, of course they still you know they, they don't if you pre- prepare a story I, I want to go to syria i want to go to iraq will you pay they say okay just send me the story once you have it you know Or mm-hmm. once you are there and this is like the craziest thing i guess
0: mm-hmm. so that photographers are having to take greater risks and and bear more of the responsibility in terms of financial cost and insurance and training and things like that?
1: Very often. I mean, it really depends, you know, like in many cases like this, I think the development is towards this. Mm -hmm but uh yeah well when i started or even in the middle of of my work it wasn't like this you know i was sent to places but uh i think now it's getting w- well worse and worse but it depends for publication you work as well you know some publications still still sent uh yeah some very famous photographers to, to places just to get an exclusive pictures from this photographer or mm-hmm. something you know but but i think generally the the um development is towards yeah less money and more risks yeah mm-hmm. for sure no
0: and so what are you doing to try and adapt to this new landscape and, and the way that things are changing
1: uh, well i will i've decided to work uh, actually like well exclusively on on my own projects which means that i will have to uh, well to to find a way to fund them mm-hmm. Probably to survive, to live on this, I will have to to work in, uh, I don't know, I will try to find work in an NGO, like, you know, doing different things there, mm-hmm. not only photography or videography, depends what what I'll kind of, you know, my, my idea now in Berlin is to to work with refugees. Okay. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I'll work like with a project like I did uh, with Simon to work on, on things which really interests me, you know, mm-hmm. but then I don't have to make compromises anymore. Yeah like this is my idea you know that uh, yeah that you know I, I i guess that that you can do it for i mean i did it pretty long you know to work in news and to uh, to work on on these terms but i don't think that uh, it fits anymore to what i want to do you know to um, uh, to really b- bring something which is, matters to me yep. across and to live from it it's it's very very difficult i mean it's still yeah. possible for some people but you know it's it's very very difficult and the way to get there is uh, yeah, not not uh, not an easy one. I guess it's yeah. I don't think it will it will get easier. I think you no. know. I mean, of, of course, you know, there are still grants and and um, people get grants and, but um, I, I have the feeling that uh, mostly it's the same people who get the grants. You know, the few grants which are available, it's it's the same people who get them.
0: Right. Why yeah, why do you so think that is?
2: So
1: uh, well, because it's. I guess this is like. Uh, well. The um, you have, I mean, the way your work is exposed, uh, people know about it, and mm-hmm. I, I guess it's easier for you to, um, to get ex, you know, to, to be chosen to get these grants. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's, it's a very small community, the photo community, and the the, you know, the the 20 or 50 photographers who everyone knows about. They they have, yeah, they can easily, I mean, pretty easily, of course. You know, the the way to get there was difficult for them as well. Yeah. But, you know to uh, yeah to, to live on it you
0: know and so the project that you're currently doing with uh, simon called the mm-hmm. circle that you're also doing with uh, david McCauley, a uh, sound mm-hmm. artist can you maybe share a little bit about that project and how it came about
1: well this project um, came about in 2013 But by that time i i had been going to iraq uh, Well, since 2008 i was going back and forth from iraq and um, with Simon, I started speaking around 2011, 2012 about uh, coming with me and doing a project with me in Iraq. Mm-hmm. So uh, we went uh, finally in February 2013. Then uh, we went to northern northern Iraq, mm-hmm. and we wanted to um, to, to do a, well to do a piece, which was actually called first anatomy of violence. It was uh, a bit different, it was more like a documentary piece and more um, doing like a web documentary. Okay. And mm. a much bigger much bigger body of work. Mm-hmm. And we um, w- well we sent this project to the Dorothea uh, Lange and Paul Taylor Award in, in the States. Mm-hmm. And we were chosen as um, among the 13 finalists, we were chosen, uh, but we didn't get the prize. In the same in the same year, we um, we applied in Amsterdam for the idfa mm-hmm. uh, to uh, to find like a um, producer for this project, but we d- we, d- we didn't succeed. So and and we left it. I mean, we put it for two years, about a bit less, like around two years in a cupboard, and we didn't didn't touch it. Okay. I was working on, on some uh, personal project about state violence. Uh, Simon was working on his uh, project in Ireland. With Davey, we had already, I mean, Simon had all the time contact with Davey, but uh, he as well in 2013, he did some sound for, for our other piece we presented. Then, then Simon had uh, heard about this open call for the exhibition in, in London, mm-hmm. and we presented the work uh, like a different focus for, uh, for exhibition called Displaced about migration. And a sort of a smaller part of, of the project we had proposed uh, two years before. Yeah. And we were chosen. And um, so uh, I came to London and we worked in, in 10 days. We worked uh, on this project as well as uh, starting a Kickstarter campaign because we had the idea of, OK, like, let's, let's try to move it from now on in a different direction, more into the uh, less documentary, but more art world mm-hmm. and uh, g- sort of. Putting like uh, Davy's sort of Davy more into it, and, and uh, yeah, sort of making like a soundscape from ambient sound we had recorded before together, as well as my archive material from the other times I went to Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah, and then everything else um, was what happened then. And then, then we had like this exhibition for o- only five days. And the Kickstarter campaign took uh, us really like a f- I don't know 25, 26 days of full-time work. We didn't have a clue about how uh, social media works. It also came yep. like uh, came across uh, came along while doing, uh, learning while doing, basically.
0: Yep. But you were successful in the end. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Yep.
1: Thank God. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, yeah.
0: it paid off.
1: Yeah, and why, <laughs> quite, uh, huh?
0: why did you decide to actually um, attempt a crowdfunding campaign?
1: Well, because we, we have tried already um, two years before that. We have tried already, um, you know, to do to, to this conventional. We, we got among the finalists, but then on, no. on we do, just didn't have the sort of more energy and no time, no money to do more with it. You know, it was like we had other things to do and um, we believed in this project but you know like only we could actually only put the effort uh, and and our time in it for a few months together you know simon mm-hmm. was in a different place i mean he was in london i was in istanbul yeah. a lot of work and uh, yeah, it was just you know like not uh, not possible to to work like every few days to Skype and what are we going to do? We tried for a while, but on some point it was just okay. Well, do, do it doesn't work. It doesn't work. What can we do? Yep. And then it, when the exhibition came across and we got a little bit of money for actually putting up the exhibition, mm-hmm. but it was like basically the money to. To like rent a, a projector and a screen, and that was it, you know. And do a few prints, yep. and we didn't have even money to to pay my flight to go to come to London, you know. Right. So so I said, okay, let's. Why don't we try to do like a, a crowdfunding campaign? Mm-hmm. And and uh, well, if we succeed, we can we can try to to make this work bigger and try to bring it to different cities, yep. and try to do more more with it. You know, the good thing about crowdfunding is that it really ca- you can do it like in a very short amount of time, yep. you know, while uh, really applying for conventional funding. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes quite a long time, because you, you basically have to find first the grant, which is suitable, then you have to, to write it, then you have to wait uh, well one or two months, or depends how, I about the deadline and everything. Yep. Uh, well, it takes time, and then if you're not chosen, I mean, there are mo- a lot of people, more and more people applying for this. Mm. Uh, and then it's a lot of luck as well, you know. I mean, yep. it's okay. You can be among the finalists, but if you're not chosen, you, do, you you're not. Sh- you never know why you are not chosen, why someone else is chosen. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like this. Uh, it it has a lot to do with you know right time. Uh, I don't know right subject mm-hmm. uh, right jury I guess you yeah. know like a lot of luck in it so uh, I mean you it's like playing the lottery I guess yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure Yeah well
0: that's that's the thing you know there are there are so many as you say there's so many variables to it and and yeah. you're exposing yourself to a great degree of randomness ultimately whereas mm. I think with crowdfunding you have control over the message and you know um, just pushing forward pushing out um and connecting with people and at least you can see the the impact of your work, um, and you you're getting kind of real time feedback because you know if nobody's engaging with the story and and the project the or the the campaign, then you can respond to that and push harder and connect with more people. So you've mm-hmm. got that real time feedback, which um, which I think is invaluable. And then also the fact that you've got all these secondary benefits that you just don't have with conventional funding. You know, well, at least I suppose the, the conventional funding, the funding that you guys went for were, were grants, where it was a competitive and quite public um, competition. Is that right? You know, with um, shortlisting and, and then the final prize. But you got exposure at least with that, whereas mm. the, likes with, um, the likes of Arts Council funding here in England, um, you don't get any exposure. You know, you're just writing a report. Um, or writing a proposal, sending that in, and then you hear back from them as to whether you've succeeded or not. So there's there's no public exposure. So at least you know. I suppose there are there's a spectrum of different funding opportunities, but uh, of the conventional sort. But still, you know, it's maybe not um, as beneficial in terms of building up an audience as, as crowdfunding can mm. potentially be um but yeah so i I think and, and obviously that in itself helps um you to kind of raise awareness about the story and and the work and and yourselves as you know documentary storytellers or you know visual storytellers um so yeah i think i think crowdfunding has has a lot of potential and i think um there are lots of opportunities out there um but do you think do you think it is an effective means of getting unreported and underreported stories a wider audience?
1: Well, I I think it is a good um, I think it is a good either a good starting point or a good uh, ending point, you know? Like mm-hmm. I mean, well in, in our case it's actually something in between. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yep. but uh, you know, like I mean, many people use um uh, uh, even really successful photographers use crowdfunding uh, like for doing books, for example, you mm-hmm. know, like they have a body of work already finished, yep. uh, funded through different things, and uh, then they they use uh, crowdfunding to do a book with it, you mm-hmm. know, like a self-published book, um, or people who are doing films with it. Um, well, I think um, it's for building up the audience, I mean, you know, like the people, I mean, the people we have in, in our, um, our Facebook page who like this project are not are not so many. I mean, I think around like, I think really, I mean, direct likes, it's around 300, mm-hmm. you know? plus then you have like many people who liked it through other websites, uh, through other Facebook sites, and then we don't have control, we don't know how, ma- how much this is. Yeah. I mean, but you know, we have posts, uh, some things we posted on this page have like reached, uh, well, maybe around one, between 1,000 and 2,000 people, it depends. Mm-hmm. You know? So this is great to see and, yeah. and 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 um and all this but um mm, I think um only to I mean o- only with uh, crowdfunding I don't think it's enough uh to I mean to build up an audience unless you really plan it for a long time and you mm-hmm. know like and then you you uh, um you release it and then really like if if your whole campaign the page and everything was really going on for half a year or for a few months and something different but um you know we see it i mean as, as the way you know um while Simon and I see it, it's more like uh. It's it's you know it's it's a one tool. It it helps us a lot to to um, to bring this uh, to start this project or to bring it further. Yep. But then we definitely together with Davy as well. We definitely want to, uh, to to move it on different platforms as well, you know, and try to find different funding opportunities, some conventional ones in different countries, and and to mm-hmm. to bring it to galleries and to to um, yeah museums and. Uh, and to get a different audience engaged, you know, which yeah. we haven't ra- reached so far with with this Facebook page. It yeah. was like, you know, it was really like, a, for me, it was like uh, very amazing that we actually managed to, you know, to get £6,000 in, in 25, 26 days. So yep. it's, yeah, yeah. No,
0: it's, it's a great achievement. And yeah. uh, <laughs> well it, it's great that it, it means that it, it makes your project more sustainable and and it also is an indicator that there is a desire to... For this story to be heard and and the like so I, I think it affirms um, that there, there is this desire to get it out there and, and for more people to know about it and, yeah. and I think that's, that's important you know again an important element of the whole crowdfunding thing is that you get that affirmation from a, a wide range of people from the general public you know it's not just based on a small group of um, industry experts on a panel it's the the general public who yeah. kind of engage with it and and uh, yeah hopefully support it and, and yeah no definitely yeah.
1: definitely this is well like this what you're saying now as well uh, the difference between you know these and, and conventional grants mm. you know because in conventional grants it's like you know basically people from the industry are gave are giving uh, the grants from for people from the industry mm. So so now it's like at least uh, yeah some common people and you know are actually engaged in it yeah
0: it's yep. true yep. And but, uh, yeah and hmm? yeah uh, so your time in in the Middle East um, you've been there you, you've been there for I think you said eight years is that right mm. yeah um, eight years and uh, you've explained a little bit about your motivation for going there um, but on on your website you know and and reflected in your body of work uh, you indicate that you focused you had a desire to focus on issues related to minorities and natural resources mm. so what lured you what kind of attracted you to those particular um stories and issues
1: well these were like um well in the, in the very beginning when i came to to turkey it was uh, it was not like this you know after a few months or after some travels uh, yeah you you find uh, you find subjects that interest you more than others of course you know mm-hmm. and um minorities at that time were not not really apart from the mm, apart from the christians mm-hmm. um no one really or very few people really knew uh, what the Yazidis were what what uh, the shabaks were and and i mean different minorities in iraq for example um and uh i was lucky enough to um, to travel with a. Uh, very experienced uh, journalist friend who who had a very different um, well, more like classic, like old school approach for for finding out things and sort of I learned a lot from this, from her. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and I saw that, you know, like through um, the ways my country treats minorities, or uh, the way how minorities are treated in a country by its neighbors, by 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 the min- major majority. It's uh, you can learn a lot about this country as well, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. So and the same thing happened with uh, the subject I I I worked on with water in in the Middle East. I mean, it was basically the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers mm-hmm. uh, going from Turkey to um, to the southern Iraq, and this uh, subject came across um, through an assignment, well, s- from uh, Der Spiegel. When I went, s- was sent to the Iraqi marshlands, and uh, I was only four days there, and then I started to work on it uh, by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, then i was sent again for different papers for te- television and everything but you know it was like I, I basically was going there for three four years i was going there and uh, continued working there mm-hmm. and um yeah and this was like the most um for me the most uh, important stories i worked on you know mm-hmm. like minorities and uh and water so
0: you're very uh, familiar with collaboration and in terms of how do you seek out the individuals, the journalists or the other photographers uh, to collaborate with on on these projects? Or do they find you?
1: Mm, I mean, you know, with, with journalists, it's like basically you just work in, in, in teams, you know, like mm-hmm. with, uh, the photographer and the journalist. So sometimes uh, well, I come up with ideas and then uh, they come along, other, sometimes it's the other way around. It yep. depends. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm used to work in uh, in small groups, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, definitely. I mean, you know, sometimes as well. Like, if it's my own project, I, I start by myself, and then I ask people when it c- becomes bigger to to work with me. Mm-hmm. But but with Simon, I've I've you know I've worked during university times. So then I, we didn't work with each other for a long time because you know we're different countries yep. and uh, different uh, lives going on. But uh, yeah, and then you know like uh, we didn't work for ten years together, and we started to work r- li- right in Kirkuk. So I to work again together, which was like. Mm-hmm yeah like um quite an experience you know but it was great and it's good as well with um you know to to have davy in it to to work on a completely different swear you know level yeah
0: Yeah. and in terms of now that you're based in, in berlin uh, what steps are you going to take to try and um, explore the issues being experienced by refugees in the country are you connecting with journalists and going through the motions that you're you're so familiar with or is there is there another approach that you're taking Uh,
1: i think i will i mean basically i have to get familiar with the with the whole laws system here you know like uh, Mm -hmm. what it means to um, well what rights do refugees have here Uh, when are they accepted to stay in germany when are they when can they be uh, sort of brought back uh, to the country where they first arrived and the European uh, territory mm-hmm. and, and all this. Uh, but what I want to do is definitely um, to get in contact uh, with uh, Syrian Iraqi refugees mm-hmm. because I basically know where they're coming from. I've seen them in Istanbul as well. And I just, yep. uh, yeah, I want to, it's like the, the last part of their journey. Well, the arrival is here, you know. Mm. So, uh, yeah, once I'm a bit more uh, stable here, I definitely want to do this. Uh-huh. I, I mean, I know already. You know, friends of friends who are here, so I mean, so it won't won't be so difficult to, to find them in there. In right. Germany, it's like a yeah, it's like I mean, there's a at the moment in Germany, it's like a huge uh, huge issue, immigration. You know, uh-huh. they um, I was reading yesterday that like every day there's um, uh, shelters. Yep. They are like every day there's a shelter in Germany uh, being uh-huh. uh, attacked. Right. Wow. Mm.
0: Yeah, and, so, um, and I think I think the circle your project, which is focusing on internally displaced, I think that would complement any work that you do on on refugees within the the borders of you know Fortress Europe, really, you know, um, and and put a spotlight on the fact that a very very small percentage of those people who are fleeing from um, conflict zones and the likes uh, actually make it into. Um, into Europe, into the EU, and that really the vast majority are internally displaced, or, or just going across the borders to their neighbouring countries. Um. Mm. I, yeah, I think. And I, I think that's something that needs to be highlighted. And I think you know, obviously, if if you're exploring refugees in Germany and having explored internally displaced, the the experience of internally displaced people, um, in Iraq and the likes, then. Then yeah, I think that'll definitely complement one another and, mm. and help raise that awareness.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I you know and I guess that many people here. I mean, I guess I mean I was reading as well. Like this is what I'm doing right now is just reading. I'm reading about uh, you know about what's happening in Turkey. I'm reading mm-hmm. about what's happening in Germany. And no, I actually what I was reading uh, the other day was. That um, compared to the 90s, there are much more people uh, sensitive to the subject. Much more people in in, in Germany mm-hmm. uh, to willing to help. I mean, willing to help okay. in, in terms of you know like uh, giving some money or you know trying to uh, sign up for mentoring programs to accompany um, uh, refugees to show them like how how the infrastructure works in, in this in their city and mm-hmm. everything. So. Um, yeah, I mean, like, but you know, like, if you if you, t- if you uh, check the news, I mean, at least here, it's uh, well, first like the first two uh, two headlines are like uh, Turkey and the war and ISIS and the Kurds, yeah. And then you have like uh, next thing is like uh, refugees in in uh, Germany, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, but I mean, I guess that most of the people here don't really, uh, yeah, don't have an idea what's happening. Mm in uh, in the countries uh, in the middle east yeah. i mean okay but you still like you know I just, you just have to see it relati- relatively so i mean middle east everywhere there's like the news every day we s- hear something about the middle east even if it's not like not a very sort of uh, i don't know um, like very deep uh, well deep, deeply researched news whatever you mm-hmm. know but uh, about many other things uh, happening in the world, in Africa, in Asia, in South America, we don't have a clue about. No, yeah. Yeah. So it's um, yeah, it's a bit crazy to, to come uh, to Germany at this point, yeah. <laughs> I guess. You know. And uh,
0: can you maybe um, share a little about your work with the organization Media in Cooperation and Transition?
1: Mm, uh, with MICT? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was uh, working with them in uh, 2011 and 2012 in different Iraqi cities. Uh, I think I gave around seven seven workshops mm-hmm. uh, in the north as well in the south, mm, I, uh, so in the Shia area and as well in the Kurdish area. I didn't give any workshops in Baghdad, nor in uh, nor in the Sunni areas. Right. Um, it was like a, one of the best, uh, one of the greatest experience really I, I had uh, made in, in the country. Uh-huh because it was um, it was working with people with the same people for almost a week uh-huh. and uh, you saw their progress you got to know them uh, very different from uh, news journalism as you really build a relation over time mm-hmm. and um, you understand I mean I had the feeling that I, I was understanding much more about the country in a week in Najaf or in Karbala than uh, three weeks in northern Iraq uh, for for um, being sent for, for for newspaper or for a magazine mm-hmm. um, because yeah I mean you you uh, have to function you understand much more about the way of uh, the way people think yeah and and the way they they function in in a certain structure and um, the way they treat you is as well very different because you know they they have much more respect for you and and gratitude as they have normally towards journalists mm-hmm. because you really you you come there and you give them something you yeah. know you, you show them something and so I find I f- I found it really great to um, to teach to teach in Iraq yes
0: mm-hmm. and uh, it, in terms of you mentioned there that it differed very much from the work that you had with um you know newspapers and, and the likes The the journalistic element of your your work in iraq um did any publication ever request that you explore a subject in real depth and to spend you know weeks on end with uh, a particular group of people or exploring a different subject or was it always uh, very kind of superficial in nature in terms of you know maybe a day or two and that was it just grabbing what you can and and uh, sending that back to them
1: well this was mostly the case I mean sometimes I was lucky enough to um, to spend uh, a week or two on something right um, yeah basically like the longest um, the longest assignments I had in, in Iraq uh, the shortest in Turkey in between I had some assignments in Egypt and in Yemen mm-hmm. or on the Syrian border as well but um yeah i mean it was uh, you know like the thing is that um you know i i could do pretty much what i wanted in uh, in the iraqi marshlands because there was no uh, preconceived uh, opinion about it right in in the western uh, western editors head mm-hmm. while you know like if you see um you know, every German has an has an image of Turkey, mm-hmm. so every editor does have the same. Right. So basically, every time I was supposed to do some story in in Turkey, I had the feeling that people just wanted me not often. I mean, most in most cases, maybe maybe ninety five percent, mm-hmm. people wanted me to reproduce uh, an image they had already in their heads. You know. Right. So um, yeah. I mean, yeah, in Istanbul always, I mean, even if you have to take a picture, or a portrait in Istanbul, it has to do, you always have to see the cityscape somewhere, mm-hmm. even if it's snowing or raining, it doesn't matter. You have to, you need to have the something which reminds you, I don't know, yeah. the Blue Mosque or the uh, yeah. I- Hagia Sophia or whatever behind you. Mm-hmm. Um, in in some other parts of turkey not but uh, yeah i mean turkey was not an easy country uh, to work with because you actually couldn't you were always you always had to deal with uh, stereotypes you mm-hmm. know? and how, the, uh, how do you Iraqis feel about things.
0: that how do you feel about having to reproduce um that kind of imagery
1: well, it was tiring, I mean, it was really tiring, sometimes it was annoying, but, you know, it was like the, yeah, it was it was the job, basically, you know, mm-hmm. so it's like, take it or leave it, and mm-hmm. if, uh, if you leave it, then you have, like, hundreds more who want it, you know, Yeah. so, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I I definitely, you know, I definitely, what my experience, you know, the experience I made uh, w- will help me to do other things now, and I, I'm really grateful that I made this experience, but I guess mm-hmm. I stayed a bit too long in that country, you know. Right. And I mean, I, yeah, I left now when it's getting uh, well, when it's upside down. I mean, yeah, what's going on in Turkey now is a very different, very different subject. Uh, no, no, I mean, I did, I did a project in Turkey which actually was uh, very dear to me, which I did last year. It was an exhibition, a photo and video. It's about state violence in Turkey, state ah. violence under this current government, mm-hmm. and. Um, it didn't have so much exposure because uh, it was a bit too um, dangerous, actually. And there were not many people who wanted to fund it right. because it was quite dangerous at that time. Mm-hmm. But it was uh, it was about 10 people who experienced uh, state violence in, in Turkey in the last 10 years. So it was really in-depth. And I, I will try to do something more with it while being here, try to expo- find a new exposure to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And when you say dangerous, dangerous for who? Those. Um, who you photographed, or for yourself, or for anybody who might publish um,
1: it? Well, the ones who uh, who I photographed and asked, basically, they knew. Well, they knew what the consequences can be, and they, most of them didn't have much to lose. You know, right. some people were on and off in prison. Some people were supposed to go to prison. Mm-hmm. Some people just wanted to have justice. I mean, they didn't have. Yeah, they didn't have much to lose. At least, what they said. Mm-hmm. Um... It could have been dangerous for me but it wasn't right mm, and uh, it was people who were well, basically the ones who wanted to give money didn't apart from one organization uh because um, yeah they, they they said yeah they might get into trouble mm-hmm. right so um, yeah
0: mm. and you say you say that you think that you maybe stayed in the country too long why why do you think that's the case what makes you feel like that so uh,
1: well because I think that in the last well apart from the project I just told you about mm-hmm. um, you know I think in the last two years I didn't really um, yeah advance so much I guess you know I mean right. I didn't do um, apart from this one project which was quite quite a big thing was one year of work mm-hmm. um, you know after after the Gezi protests the situation in Turkey became uh, worse and worse many people who had hope Left or well, or became became really depressed. Um, And uh, well, well, I personally, as well, I I don't think that I sort of uh, really continued working. As much as before mm-hmm. in that business, you know. So it was like different, different things. But I, I, I guess I could have left. Apart from you know, if I, if I, <laughs> if I could have done my project, um, the state violence project, a bit earlier, yeah. I could have left earlier. Yeah. Right. Sure. I mean, it's uh, because you know, like, uh, yeah, it has to do as, as well a bit. You know, like, um, you know, I, c- I came to Turkey in the end of 2006. I mean, in between, I was away for half a year. I was in Germany because I was working for a, for a newspaper. Mm-hmm. You know, it's fixed. But then I I went back to Turkey. Anyway, so I came in a time to Turkey when, when actually things were very positive and and people had hopes of change. You mm-hmm. know, and then the human rights situation situation seemed to get better and and economical situation everything. And, and now I'm leaving Turkey in a in a in a moment where, yeah, they, I mean they just started basically. Uh, you know, flying. Uh, Flying against uh, well airplanes uh, warplanes against two uh, two countries Iraq and Syria mm. they got uh, well m- steps back uh, with the Kurds mm. and yeah. the conflict started again so uh, well yeah they they want they want to put everyone in prison who's against uh, the government I mean it's like it's um, you know much worse than when I came. Mm. This is pretty depressing, really. If if you care, you know, for the people and for a country, then if you have seen something different, then uh, you know, to witness Mm. uh, a moment like this and then leave it. It's pretty bad. I mean, I you know, like was great, and to be there when when uh, when happened, and and the months afterwards was good, but you know, like. Uh, in August, gezi happened. End of May, mm-hmm. and already in the late August, beginning of September, uh, things were not going well. Mm. This could have been a good time to leave.
0: Right. So there's not a part of you that's thinking, "Damn it, I should have stayed on and and witnessed all this and documented all that's happening." Yeah, I
1: mean, yeah, I mean, well, yeah, some part of course. But you know, what what do you want to witness now? Like, I mean, like how? I mean, basically, like if you really want to, if you do. Uh, News photography, then you have to work for, I don't know, for AP or Reuters or AFP and and really being sent to the places uh, where these things are happening. Mm -hmm. And then it's very limited what you can do. I mean, you can go, yeah, you can go to the Kandil Mountains and stay with the Kurds. Uh, You definitely cannot go with the Turkish military because they don't let anyone going with them. Mm -hmm. And um, to Syria, uh, to see what ISIS is doing is very difficult as well to do uh, for a Westerner and um, yeah probably w- the most important and interesting thing would be like to to stay with the kurds in 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 syria and see and what well i was reading uh, yesterday that you know that turkey is attacking the syrian kurds in syria as well which they are not saying mm-hmm. that they are doing right um but you know it's very limited of what you can do mm. right now like really limited you know uh, as a visual yeah visual journalist uh, not working for uh, one of the main news agencies is very limited of what you can do. I mean, of course, there will be some some, uh, background stories, but um, yeah, I'm not not sure you know how, um, what this can be right now. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's not a great, uh, I don't think it's, it's easy now to to document it, what's happening.
0: But um, in terms of, you know, one one of the motivations that you and Simon had was to to show um, a different aspect to life in Iraq. You know, and, and um, something a story that doesn't get mainstream media attention. Do you think there's support for those kind of stories within mainstream media, or do you think that there's generally speaking a need to self finance? to um, organize your own exhibitions and your own kind of um, engagement with an audience, be it through publishing your own book or, or whatever, or an installation. Do you think that's um, becoming more and more necessary because of this desire to have stereotypical imagery and uh, superficial in nature and, and not really wanting to explore good news stories or or the other the other elements to life in conflict zones or elsewhere around the world?
1: Um, Well, I mean, I think that I think there is a market for it, you know. But I mean, like, say, like, if if we're talking about still talking about this, uh, what's happening now, right now in Turkey and Syria and Iraq, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you you cannot be so fast like to produce right now something then finding you know, finding a way to publish it right away. You know, no. it takes much longer. The story um, Simon and I and Davy are doing is is something which really, uh, you know, it it goes. Uh, yeah, it, it has to do. It's a bit more. Ti- I mean, timeless basically. Mm. You know? Of course, it has to do with the current conflict, but uh, you know, in our piece, it's it's not just about about uh, the situation right now, but it's a general. F- you know, to trying to transmit the general feeling yeah. of. Of being internally displaced so we have people who who talk about uh, internal displacement which happened 20 years ago as well you know we just take fragments out of it and we try to to um, to get the viewers through the emotional um, you know through the emotional sphere Um, so of course you know if if you like if you make it timeless of course you can find uh, you can you can find you know different um, Different other ways, mm-hmm. uh, channels to to exhibit it, to show it. To p- but you know, like publishing, I- of course, in news is is news because it has to be immediate. You know, mm-hmm. there's no there's very little reflection to it in mm-hmm. news. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I think it is the way I want to go. Is uh, you know to to, to do um, to work on themes where can you know can reflect and and don't have to be immediate and. That's that's the thing. Yeah,
0: and. With the prevalence of of video as a means to communicate these kind of stories, what role do you think imagery uh, stills imagery has in the future of news reporting and documentary storytelling
1: like what what kind of uh, you mean like what uh, role photography has yeah
0: yeah like it, because obviously video is becoming more and more prolific and and tends to be more um, engaged with more uh, by by people surfing, you know, the internet or social media and, and the likes mm-hmm. and YouTube is like uh, one of the biggest search engines. I think it's the second biggest, is it, after Google? So, mm-hmm. you know, video is, is becoming more and more dominant. So what role do you think stills photography has in the future of news reporting and documentary storytelling?
1: Oh, well, I think, um, well, as long as... Um there's like a, a new form to it or, or a creative approach. I think they have some, I mean, well, maybe not in news reporting, you know, because I, I guess it's, you can already take, uh, you know, like stills out of video, which are big enough and everything, mm-hmm. and there's less and less money for it as well, you know, mm. paying news, news pictures. I mean, yep. and I saw this development, you know, I saw it in the last years. I mean, there are some papers that pay a ridiculous amount of money for for news right? and, you know, and the, and, uh, uh, and yeah, even the big magazines, they are they are the picture editors are asked first to to check uh, if they can find uh, images for almost free. You know all this. H- what are these websites called where the people can where anyone can upload pictures? You know this. Yeah, uh, stock libraries. The yeah, 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 basically yeah, the stock library. So the picture editors of really big magazines, yeah, are mm-hmm. asked first to check stock libraries. Right. If they don't find the picture there then they can actually look in the agencies or commission a photographer. Right. Right. So of course you know like if this is a development then you know the, the future of news photography is it will be limited to, to the big agencies mm. you know that's it. I mean the big agencies I mean really like is g- the ones I mentioned before you know AP Reuters AFP yep. maybe you know, Getty whatever but um, but for documentary photography, I, I guess there's a place, you know. It's just, uh, yeah, well there has to be like uh, as if there's sort of a creative approach and form and content,
2: mm-hmm.
1: for sure there will be, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, you know, the, the line between photography and art and uh, documentary photography putting into galleries, it's, it's very thin.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and what about the overall? Th- th- Future of visual and documentary storytelling. What do you think that future is? You know, what does it look like?
1: Well, I don't have an idea. I mean, I really don't know. There are many things happening. You know, there mm-hmm. are many things happening with the uh, with yeah, web documentaries with um, I mean the New York Times, for example, has a great uh, great way to combine photo video and text mm-hmm. You know and uh, and I guess and I think there are very few um other papers, uh, magazines who do it really well, you know, they they just don't, they're not flexible enough, not innovative enough to, to see uh, what, uh, what um, gain photography and uh, slideshows and uh, sound and video can bring to a story, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, no one can, does it the way New York Times does it right now. Right.
0: Um, well, I think, I think. Uh, the Guardian does some. They're they're relatively linear, in mm. in kind of how they function. So they're not necessarily. I, I think for the most part they're they're quite linear still. But yeah. they they haven't made many, if any, uh, non-linear. But they they are exploring it, and I think you know they they do appreciate, um, the the value of it. And I think mm. it was it was New York Times. Was it snow snow storm or snowfall? Snowfall was the kind of the key um new york times uh web documentary that really kind of um shone a spotlight on on the potential for this kind mm. of uh adoption and and utilization of web technology to to build a multi layered and complex story in an engaging and immersive way.
1: Mm. i mean i think that definitely the potential you know is is there it just uh, you know, how um how open uh, the media, I mean, you know, the people who basically decide mm. um yeah, are open to it, you know.
0: But you as a storyteller, is that something that you want to explore to get ahead of the curve and
1: well, I, I'm I'm not sure, you know, right now I'm just, you know, basically I, <laughs> right now, I just want to work with refugees and <laughs> <All> right, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> plus I want plus I want to uh, plus I want really to to get this, uh, you know, the circle going and, yep. um, and to finish another Iraq story. I have a um, refugee story I have been doing in, in Turkey for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, maybe, you know, it's just like um, I have a bit enough of of freelancing, really, you know. Yeah, yeah, because um, like, uh, I mean, I cannot see myself not doing photography and video. I definitely will do it, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if I really want to. base my existence continuing basing my existence on it because it's really i mean it's really rough and tough and depends on so many different things you yeah know, and and really that's the stories i enjoyed most the project i enjoyed most which with this circle is one of this uh yeah there was in the beginning there was no money for it mm. you know. there was no it. so it's like mm, yeah basically you in my case i don't know how it's with you but you know like um mm, most of uh, my the stories which were important for me um didn't bring or brought much later money with it you mm. know? S- i mean some did like you know in the iraqi marshlands i loved going there and you know it was like i really uh you know i published it in in uh, figaro magazine mm-hmm. in uh, Corriere de Sera magazine in uh, in an austrian magazine called terra uh, terra Mater. plus uh, you know a german television all this and a documentary film and all this you know but this is normally not the case if you don't have a niche yeah yeah um, so um so mm. really, I mean, if if, uh, if you want to do like, in my case, really, like innovative work or s- things which matter, subjects matter to you, very often it doesn't, uh, you cannot live with it because uh, it doesn't fit into what mainstream yeah, media requires mm. very often. Yeah, they haven't yeah. caught up
0: yet. They haven't. They yeah, haven't embraced yeah, I mean, web technology. Yeah, I, d- <laughs> I don't know.
1: Yeah, <laughs> if you see like very positively, it could be this. But you know as well like maybe there's not really like a, a big market for it neither. You know like it depends really where you where do you place your work like for mm. whom do you make your work? Yeah. You know is it like for the broad, really broad audience? Then it has to be very accessible. Mm-hmm. You know? And is yep. is the circle very accessible? Well, not really. If you have to, you know, you have because in order to to grasp what's what's happening you have to stay at least uh well um 18 minutes right yeah yeah because you have to see it a few times Mm -hmm. That see that the sound is in different place and every time you see it so it's like and and who nowadays really has 18 minutes to sit in front of a screen Mm. on one piece i mean
0: but then that's that that's exactly where interactive web documentaries come in. I think they appreciate that need to just give people bite-sized chunks and to lead them on a on a journey um, that they have a, a degree of control over because I think that's another aspect of of a, um, how we engage with, with web, well, the internet and, and web browsers and the likes. We want to be in control. We want it to be dynamic yeah. in nature rather than passive. And I think... You know that's that for me is the way things are going is that there's a need to be dynamic there's a need to give people a degree of control over the story that they're exploring um and I think interactive web documentaries um feed that
1: but then you know it's well like you have to you have to find uh, you know um basically mainstream media which is willing to pay for it well yeah that's like that's really the different.
0: that's the key thing you know is is mm-hmm. there isn't necessarily the the demand for it within mainstream media and so then there's a need to explore other avenues for financing that and making it sustainable and and i think that's where crowdfunding comes in
1: yeah i hope so. I really hope that it will happen but um so do i you know yep. i mean the, <laughs> but there are still <laughs> many people you know who sit there i mean who you know who are, uh yeah who has who have been brought up and and mm. uh, with newspapers and they basically don't want to want to change, you know, and no, you know yeah. many, many of them are the, the decision makers. Yeah. Yep.
0: So. No, that's very true. Yeah. Just to wrap up, where can people find out about you and your work?
1: Well, um, on, uh, on my website as well. I, mm. mean, uh, I mean, it depends on what kind of work if you want to find the circle. It's at the moment we have uh, just this Facebook page. Uh, mm. um, and we have parts of it on, on uh, key pictures. Um, page okay about uh, my my personal work is on my uh, website at www.askovronek.com uh, and my my agency agentur uh, focus
0: mm-hmm. okay great yeah I'll, I'll put links to all those in the show notes um thanks a lot. but yeah well thank you very much for your time and um yeah it's been great talking to you
1: thanks a lot okay
0: Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed the conversation I really enjoyed speaking to Agatha and hearing about her experiences and thoughts on the state of photojournalism and I hope you all got something of value from the conversation that we had Show notes with details of all the people and organisations we mentioned in the podcast are available on the Documentary Photography Review website at documentaryphotoreview.com forward slash interviews and navigate to the page for this episode The next episode, available on the 1st of September, will be with Lawrence Watts, the head of the picture desk at the NGO Action Aid. This will be the first interview with someone who is not a photographer and will be much shorter than usual, in large part because of my ignorance and lack of experience uh, with working with picture editors, but regardless, it was a good and informative chat and lots to take away from it so be sure to subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud so you don't miss out. Do please rate the podcast on iTunes and the other platforms, and if you have any comments or feedback, please get in touch with me via email at chris at Take care, and thanks again for listening.